Hi, this is Graham Watson. You might have wondered what happened to this podcast. We were putting it out every week and then suddenly it disappeared. Well, we only have a small team here at Out in Perth and sadly both Lee Hill and I suddenly had relatives last month who were in hospital and we had to decide to scale back some of the things we were doing, set some projects aside and spend some important time with our families. We've filled past that by now and we're back on track, so we're pleased to put up these podcast episodes that we recorded a while back that we're unable to post until now. Thanks for your patience and we hope you enjoy these chats. So Loquacious, an Out in Perth podcast. Welcome to So Loquacious, a podcast from Out in Perth magazine. So Loquacious is where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism to art, and all from an LGBTIQ plus point of view. My name's Lee Hill, and each week I'm joined by my colleague Graham. Hi. And a special guest. This week we'll be discussing uh, the Safe Schools Coalition, uh, talking about whether we need programs to protect LGBTIQ kids from bullying, uh, Fringe World, uh, the pros and cons of fringe festivals around the world, and what makes a great bar. But before we leave into this episode, a word about our sponsor. City Signs are the experts in large-scale design with high-quality large digital prints and vinyl signs plus the ability to create stunning mobile displays with full vehicle wraps. Find out more about them at city-signs.com.au. Welcome to Solar Quacious. We've got many things to discuss today, but first we'll introduce our guest. Alice Maud is one of our favourite contributing writers here at Out in Perth. She's the author of So Shall Alice, a regular column about food, drinks, bars and restaurants. She's also behind the popular online publication, The Mod Blog. How you doing, Alice? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Generally, only got that social Alice was a pun. Hey, that's today. the hallmark of a good pun. It actually came from it. my dad. I was like, "What do I call it?" And he sent me. He just sent it straight back. Social Alice. I was like, "That is brilliant." When I'm famous, <laughs> I will thank you. <laughs> Now's the chance. Yeah. Now's the chance. Thanks, Thanks, Dad. Dad. <laughs> you get to go and write about lots of different bars and restaurants and places. Do you ever have a night at home, or are you just out every night? I need about one night every three weeks before I go insane. So <laughs> I have I have a Monday night ritual about once every three weeks. I get fish and chips and I sit on my sofa and I watch really shit television <laughs> in my pyjamas and drink wine. And that that's my downtime. That's my every time. <laughs> I have no idea. Like People often say to me, like, do you know this TV program? Do you know that TV program? I'm like... No, I'm not home at seven o'clock when TV programs are on. I know the programs on at like one thirty in the morning. Home Shopping Network. I'm totally down. I'm not, I'm not allowed to watch that after I bought pans. <laughs> it's been a big topic in the news here in Australia today. Uh, the Safe Schools Coalition have come under attack from conservative groups. Um, so today we're going to discuss whether we need programs in our schools to protect kids from LGBTIQ. I mean, protect LGBTIQ kids from bullying. Uh, there's been a relentless campaign from conservative groups like the Australian Christian Lobby, Family Voice Australia and the Marriage Alliance to remove the Safe Schools Coalition from Australia's education system. Uh, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull has agreed to investigate the program. Some of those groups are calling for the program to be completely axed, even within hours of the Prime Minister's announcement. It's been a lot going on in this area, like relentless is a really descriptive word mm -hmm. for the campaign against this program. Yeah. And it's been really disturbing and at the same time fascinating to watch, you know, conservative groups sort of put out these statements about this program mm -hmm. and then watching those statements being repeated on talkback radio and repeated in comments on websites and 
people talking about you know what the content of this program is, mm. and I'm pretty sure none of them have ever no. seen the content <laughs> at all. Um, but are just re- sort of regurgitating this information that's been put out by people who are opposed to it. There seems there's a couple of groups that we just named who seem to only oppose safe schools and marriage equality, and that seems to be the only reason they exist. They they seem to be quite a occupation with this. They're mm. very very focused on these issues. And, you know, there's many other things they could be spending their time on, but it's a bit sad they don't. Mm. Yeah. Well, did you, did you have to deal with being bullied for being gay when you were in school, Alice? Um, yes, actually. I came out when I was about 14 um, as bisexual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just very much one of those girls that kissed her friends and, you know, I was very much kind of in an, I guess, kind of explore, exploratory phase. And then I thought, you know what, no, this is actually... I like women as much as I like boys. <laughs> and um, I remember coming out at school and I had friends that wouldn't sit next to me anymore because they were so worried that I'd suddenly hit on them. And really? even then I was like, dude, like every guy that sits next to you doesn't want in your pants. Like just because mm. I'm attracted to chicks doesn't mean that that's the same way. Um, that's how I will feel. The realisation that one, girls can be that up themselves and two, <laughs> that there was just no understanding um, was quite sad. You know, I'd say, you know, like, you'll sit next to guys. They are much more likely to go and try and get in your pants. Like, they're 14-year-old <laughs> boys. Um, you know, and it was just it was just quite a frank realisation um, for me at that point. And then when I was with my um, my last long-term female partner, we, we suffered um, many issues um, when, when we were together. And, you know, that then transcended into you know, issues with her kids when they're at school. And, yeah, it's. I think it's an issue that people just don't realise is so prevalent. Mm. Um, and it can be from anything, like somebody not sitting next to you or somebody making a comment about your parent being gay. You know, it can be any of those things. It's not necessarily, um, I think, an issue that these lobbyists assume it is about. I didn't come out until I was 26. Mm-hmm. And the concept of even realize, accepting that I was gay when I was in high school or, you know, telling anyone about it. I, I've spent my entire high school times in total fear that anybody yeah. would find that out. Like, constant back-of-your-mind fear. And you hear these people say, like, you know, a lot of kids aren't sure or the, the, the um, Australian Marriage Forum was coming out this week saying that most kids who think they're gay later change their mind. <laughs> and, and it's like... <laughs> no... That, like whether you want to wear a type of pants. Yeah. yeah. And when you talk to people who have the lived experience, you know, that none of this lines up, none of this rings true. What I found out later in life is mm. that a lot of my friends in high school are gay. Yeah. And here we are all so petrified of finding out that each other is gay. It's just a very unhealthy situation. And to think that if someone is going through their education and they're you know, so unable to be themselves and have so much fear and worry about these things, it affects their education. Mm. It affects everything else in their life. I think these programs are essential, are incredibly important. And even though I didn't come out and I worked so hard to make sure no one knew I was gay, there's still people who bully you for being gay. Oh, yeah. Just Whether you're the, the straightest, per- you're the the straightest yeah. person in under, yeah, at yeah. school, it's... You know, has changed is, uh, in my early career... I would have been bullied in the workplace for being gay mm-hmm. very openly and that was perfectly fine because the standards we have in workplaces have changed over the last 20 years yeah. and what programs like this really set up to do is to 
you know, start kids on the right track. Because there isn't a workplace in Australia you could come into today and and not embrace diversity. Mm. So many places, um, especially across education um, and higher education, run all of these diversity programs. You know, I was involved in the diversity program at ECU when I worked there, and the training they were rolling out was even from somebody who's gone through experiences that are relatable and you know my experiences are very different and you know there was no um you know I don't think it had an overly negative impact on my mental health or anything like that you know I was really lucky but sitting there and talking to these people in these sessions at you know ECU was just fantastic and the stories people told and I was just I was blown away I was gobsmacked by the fact that these are adults treating other adults like that Mm. you know let alone when they're children they don't even know what they're saying Mm. it's um it's sad. Yeah, I had a I had a very particular kind of bully. I went to a Catholic high school in a pretty rough area, but I, in general, didn't get bullied that much. I wasn't out in high school, but I'm pretty much a dead giveaway, <laughs> um, whether I like it or not. But, you know, I didn't really get bullied. I got bullied more for being an atheist at a Catholic school than I did for being gay. But there was this one guy who used to probe me about being gay and try and get me to come out, and I was you know, really scared that he was trying to out me and bully me and I thought he was telling all of his friends. But as I look back at it, I think he was may have really just trying to find somebody to connect with. Yeah. And maybe if there was a program like Safe Schools, he wouldn't have felt so terrified and mm. confused. And neither would you. Yeah, and he wouldn't have taken it out on me. What's interesting in what you just said, though, is that you're a dead... You said describe yourself as a dead giveaway. <laughs> well. But there are also kids there who would fall into that dead giveaway category who are not gay. Oh, yeah. Who are going to get bullied for being gay, even though they're not. Yeah, there was definitely kids like that in my school. And if you have a program which takes that all away and just says, like, you know, everyone's equal and everyone's fine, then it's good for everybody, surely. Mm -hmm. I really struggle to understand with this. People who say, like, if you say you can't bully gay kids, then the kids who have certain values are going to be bullied for not bullying gay kids. I just really struggle with his logic yeah, because, like, it's... what are these values? Like, I'm defending my rule, my right to tell people they're lesser, to tell no, people they're the, the values... equal. That makes no sense. No. The values that they're talking about are the kind of things that are upheld by treating your fellow man with respect. That's yes. it. It's pretty and, simple. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think this is an absolutely fantastic program and I think this is such... I think the rollout of this kind of program is really fantastic. But I do wonder why it's not a anti-bullying program. Why is it so focused on sexuality and gender? Mm. Why isn't it about do not bully someone? You know, these are the issues that people will be dealing with. They might be dealing with sexuality issues. They might be dealing with gender issues. They might be dealing with religion issues. Mm. You know, maybe there should also be a conversation about bullying overall. Mm. That's a good question. And... I think maybe part of that is that there is so much lack of knowledge about sexuality. You know, that there's a, a lack of information. People will put wrong information yes. to fill it. And yeah. I think that applies maybe more to sexuality than to some of the other areas. But you're completely right. We shouldn't be bullying things um, on any of these yes. reasons. One of the things I just find completely hilarious was the um, Family Voice Australia actually um, sort of highlighted you know that and in their press release said you know what about all the ethnics and the rangers and <laughs> i remember that which is don't worry about the rangers they don't have souls <laughs> watch it <laughs> <laughs> but it was the, the language of that press release is kind of weird oh maybe you need to go on a course you know <laughs> yeah there is just so much other you know for want of a 
for lack of a better term, diversity across kids and schools, and especially in, in Perth, where Perth is so driven by um, its class system that there are so many bigger issues, well, not bigger issues, sorry, so many other issues mm. that surround finding your feet at school. It would be nice to be having those conversations as well. One of the things we thought was really interesting this week was um, the Marriage Alliance, who are a very meme-happy organisation. They like putting out little um, visual depictions to help get their point of view across, mm. or maybe not get their point of view across. <laughs> um, but they put one out yesterday, which was really interesting, which was uh, asked if there was a connection between the Safe Schools Coalition and the upcoming plebiscite on marriage equality. And they had a little cartoon, which was like kids coming out of school like a conveyor belt, with this giant hand putting sort of rainbow cards into their heads, and then them hen- heading off to the voting booth for the plebiscite. Sort of suggesting that there had been a plan from the gay and lesbian rights activists to infiltrate schools, teach kids about gay being super cool, and then have them go to this plebiscite that no one in the gay community wants um, to vote for it. And you kind of sit back and go, as conspiracy theory goes, that's a great one. Oh, I like it because I think it's definitely true that when a four-year-old, five-year-old kid comes home, their parents believe everything they're telling them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just from that point of view, that is, that's ridiculous. Um, but conspiracy theories are funny. You know, I've just started watching X-Files again, which I'm really enjoying. I've been so swept up in the idea that, you know, there could be something out there that... And then I watched an episode, and I'm not going to ruin it for the people that haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, no, it's not this, it's this. And I was like, no, I've been believing it was the aliens all along. <laughs> <laughs> and I have quite a few friends that are quite into the whole conspiracy theory um, thing. And I, I would love to get my head around it, but I think once I started, I'd go down a wormhole of just, I'd be lost in them and I'd come out and I'd just be talking to people about JFK and it just really wouldn't be positive. <laughs> I used to have a boss who had his own personal conspiracy theory. And his conspiracy theory was there was a pub that we drank in, <clears> like on a Friday night after work. And every Friday night there was a charity um, person who'd come around collecting money for a particular charity. And his personal conspiracy theory, because he was the only person subscribing to it, was that this charity worker was a fake charity worker who was just dressing up in the uniform for the charity and going around to get a bit of extra cash every Friday night. That is a good idea. (laughs) But he used to test her by asking her questions about the the subject matter of the the charity, and if she didn't answer sufficiently, that sort of just (laughs) gave fuel to his conspiracy theory that she was... How many? Fake. How long did you guys drink at this pub for? Yeah. About seven years. Awesome. <laughs> and she, the whole time, this same old lady was coming around collecting for money, and you'd say to him, like, maybe she's just a old lady who doesn't know the answers to all your questions. But he wasn't taking and it. And maybe <laughs> if she didn't answer your questions five years ago, you should have stopped giving her money then. <laughs> oh, he never gave her money. Just everyone oh, okay. else would. He'd yeah. be like, no, no. Okay. Um, but, you know, you've got to love someone who has their own personal conspiracy. That's mm. awesome. I think the favourite conspiracy theory I've ever heard, which uh, was buzzing around the internet for a few years now, is that Avril Lavigne has been dead for 10 years and was replaced with a body double. Uh, I actually met somebody at the bird on Friday night that was almost an exact replica of her. Maybe it's still and real. And we walked into the bird and I was like... <gasps> oh... And she's like, don't say it. Everybody says it. <laughs> and um, yeah, then I woke up the next morning and I had a text from my friend saying, oh my God, I can't believe we met Avril Lavigne last night. <laughs> okay, so we can confirm she's not dead. Yeah. She's here in Perth. Yeah. But maybe maybe it is 
Avril Lavigne. Yeah, and, they, and then it is a body double, and she just yeah. escaped here to get away from Nickelback. Because you know what? <laughs> yeah, she married When we, we interviewed Kim Wilde for Out in Perth, and she was a mountain of fun. Yeah. And normally when you interview someone, you get like 15 minutes, and we got to like 12 minutes and had asked all the questions we had prepared. And so you kind of have to just ask another question. Yeah. And we just asked Kim Wilde if she had like coming to Australia on her previous trips, which is such a non-event yeah. kind of question. And she gave us the most interesting answer, which she actually talked about how she'd first come to Australia as a teenager with her dad, because her dad, Marty Wilde, was a sort of 50s rocker. Yeah. And then she'd come when she first started her career, and she'd come at the height of her career. And she said, actually, when I did my big tour in 1988 or 99, I went um, backpacking around Australia. And he said, hang on, at the height of your fame, you went backpacking around Australia? Like, didn't people stop and say hey, you're Kim Wilde? And she said, well, I put my hair in a ponytail, which is not how I wore my hair on my album cover. And sometimes people would stop and say, hey, you're Kim Wilde. And she'd go, oh, I get that a lot. <laughs> Clever well girl. Well played, Clever Kim. girl. Maybe you did meet Avril Lavigne. Maybe I did. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm is such there a, fa- a fan do, girl. Do you get excited if you meet a famous person? Yes. Uh, you get a bit jaded working here. Oh, <laughs> Um, no, I do. I get um, I fangirl really hard. It's really embarrassing, um, like how fangirly I get. <laughs> Where, who was the? I'm trying to think. The last time I fangirled super super, ah, uh, like a band I loved when I was 13, like favorited a tweet, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like running around. I was bright red. I don't think I've ever been so happy. And then I got back and there was a spelling mistake in the tweet. And I was like, oh my God. No. And this was before you could edit it. Uh. And I was like, my life is over. Mm. Um, but no, I'm a big, um, I guess I've, I've always been involved kind of on the edge of the music industry. My dad's always been involved in um, putting on bands and making music and writing books about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is where why he can come up with such awesome puns. <laughs> and, um, I would have thought that, you know, hanging out with, you know, New Order and Jose Feliciano would have dampened that. Nope. <laughs> you see me at a Comic-Con and I see James Masters and I'm about to pee my <laughs> pants. That's understandable. Yeah. He's, we're going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we haven't been home for the last four weeks. Nope. Neither have I. We've been at Fringe World. We have. Uh, here in WA, where we're based, the annual Fringe Festival has just ended. Fringe World has been on for the last four weeks, and over 700 shows came to our little city. Uh, it's brought up lots of questions from local businesses, artists, and audiences. Does uh, does a lot of people being out at the same time make a city less safe? Well, there's been lots of concern that um, reports of, even from performers, that while they were out in the, in sort of the in a city party area here in Perth of Northbridge of that you know they felt less safe and there were a couple of incidents that happened but you would think lots of people going out and being at a festival and being out every night would make a place yeah, more, more safe. safe yeah and I mean I think that there are certain parts of um, our city that I do not feel as safe in I always feel safe I you know you can walk through Perth you know, you can walk from one end, one part of the CBD to Northbridge at six o'clock in the morning, and there is always something open. So there are always people around. There are always lights on, um, and I think that, unfortunately, this is one of those sad um, incidents where you know a couple of people are ruining it for the whole party. So, mm. you know, there are just those misogynistic guys who 
like to make comments about women when they're in short rah-rah skirts mm. and you know fringe does bring a lot of burlesque performers so you know that is a style of outfit that people are wearing not necessarily rah-rah skirts but burlesque outfits and and heels and they're very dolled up and you know they're meant to look attractive and engaging and some people just don't know how to manage that mm. and those are exactly the same people that will turn around and shout abuse at a drag queen across from the side I was going to say drag queens are a very similar example um, people and, sort of see them and see there's like permission to touch or permission to poke yeah, or yeah and um, you know and we are so lucky in Perth with the um, I guess the scene of you know drag artists that we have and we have some amazing talent in this town um and it really is a shame that there are people that just can't handle their booze and just get too angry because, for whatever reason, um, and it's, you know, that person's fault. And it doesn't matter who they are. It could be a random stranger. It could be a burlesque performer. It could be a politician. Or it could be, you know, the guy that got hit at Amps the other week. You just don't know. It's just about how that pe- person reacts at that point. And it's not about fringe. And it's not about booze. And it's not about lockout laws. It's about people needing to learn how to behave and yeah. how to manage their behavior Definitely. so for example you know if tequila makes you angry don't drink tequila mm. if you can't handle more than eight beers go home at seven you yeah. know it's not about yeah it's not about the industry or perth in itself or sydney or london or anywhere it's about um it's about people needing to understand their limits and yeah. that's what people are bad Definitely. at I think it's the opposite of too many people going out I think it's people going out who don't normally go out yes. who don't know like you know oh like I have to work out how I'm going to get home or um, it's not appropriate to yell at somebody yell at things like I yell at my TV at home because you know these are real people in real yeah. life I think you know especially when you have new audiences coming into theatre spaces you know there, there are rules of how you behave in a theatre and that I mean I saw a guy who got thrown out for being heckled from a comedy show and you do get hecklers at comedy show, yeah. but there's kind of like a limit of there's how much heckling you can do. And yeah. it's a line of what's a funny heckle and what's a get out of my show heckle. Yeah, yeah. and this guy was cl- you know, clearly completely on the other side of that line and got thrown out. Yeah. Um, they did make jokes about him for the rest of the show. Though. Yeah, well, at least he added to something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, you know, people, the double-edged sword, I guess, you know, the positive is there's new people in, engaging in live performance with music, with theatre, with burlesque, whatever it was. But we also, I guess, need to maybe educate some of those audiences on how to behave. Yeah, and also there is this, you know, you know, again, back to the education of the Safe Schools programme. You know, if a group of lads go and they think they're seeing a sexy show with heaps of girls and they end up at briefs, they might not know how to handle the fact that they actually enjoyed it. So then they mm. get angry because mm. they feel they need briefs, to prove their manhood. Briefs is a show with sexy guys yeah. yeah and it's very it's very gay it's it's <laughs> the least straight show i've ever seen it was it was beautiful and it was amazing but it is the least straight show i've ever seen and you know you don't you just don't know what you're going to get from a fringe show which is why fringe is so amazing yeah. but if people aren't comfortable with who they are you know that can that can also make things um a little bit more aggressive I think the most interesting and memorable thing I saw at Fringe this year was a performer called Imogen Kelly, who did a show called Her Story, which was a burlesque history lesson. And it was the most intellectual performance I think (laughs) I saw in the whole four weeks. But in her show, she had a bit where she actually... um, she portrayed famous women as how they had been portrayed by the media in their time. Oh, wow. And she did a very sexy burlesque sort of striptease as Lindy Chamberlain, okay. which she just kind of 
go that feels wrong on so many levels yeah. but she also did um princess diana yeah and uh, mary antoinette wow and, and you know it really you walked out of it going well i'm never gonna forget seeing that but also it made you think it made yes. you think about feminism and it dingoes. made you think about dingoes <laughs> it made you think about the paparazzi yeah the way these women were depicted by the media especially who thought burlesque could be so intellectual yeah that's something else people have been talking about a lot at fringe is uh all the extra shows and bars and pop-up spaces and people a lot of businesses have been complaining that it's had a negative effect on them and that surprises me no it doesn't surprise me over the last five years there has been a massive massive influx of small bars and restaurants um, especially within kind of the inner metro area uh, the people that will drink at these small bars that currently reside in, say, Northbridge, Perth CBD, Mount Lawley, and Leaderville. Inner city. Yeah, so our inner city suburbs. Those are the people that are most likely to engage with fringe shows. Mm-hmm. So, for example, me, I would usually spend my Saturday night doing a pub crawl. You know, I'll go and I'll visit all of my favourite bars. That's what I do. I'm a barfly. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't been to any of my my favourite bars. I think I've maybe popped into one of them twice and another mm. one of them once. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just haven't had time and I just haven't had the capacity. And I've had to, you know, I've been seeing shows and then I have to either go home and sleep so I can write first thing or mm. get home and write and then sleep so that I'm okay for work the next morning. Because, you yeah. know, there was one night when I had four shows in one night. And I mean, I know that's a real extreme, but I'm a massive supporter of the hospitality industry and even I haven't been engaging as much and then there's the other aspect of you know there are so many venues that are striving to be able to do different things and have later licenses or they're being penalized for having smoking areas when they're serving food and you can do that you can walk around any fringe venue with a cigarette and some food and a beer and while I think that is absolutely amazing I just don't think the balance of it's not a level playing field no it's not businesses um and you know I was having this conversation with a business owner um a couple of days ago and, you know, I was saying, you know, oh, I used to love having a cigarette and a glass of wine and read my book on a Sunday afternoon here. You know, I'd always mm. get there early so I knew it would be quiet. And before my friends came for our usual kind of Sunday catch-up drinks before we went back to work on Monday. And I just really, I missed that. And I know that, you know, people don't like smokers. I know that that's a very small part of it. And I know that there are bigger issues around smoking. But it's just, there's a little bit of, there's a lack of equality across the hospitality scene that is always there yeah. and the hospitality scene that is an addition. And, I mean, I love what the Fringe guys and the other associated venues have been doing. The Jump Climb guys have absolutely killed it with yeah. their venues this year. And I think they won Best Independent Venue they again. They did, for Noodle yeah. Palace. And, you know, Noodle Palace is amazing. It's this rooftop bar and there's a DJ and food stands and they've got cocktails and different drinks and mm. they've got all of these different venues at you know it's a destination you don't have to go anywhere else and i love it and i i spent more time there than i spent at any other venue Mm. um but it does make it hard for other businesses to maintain the traction of their business and unfortunately it will get to a point where local businesses that are you know just that one step out geographically from where fringe happens they just won't want to support fringe anymore Mm. um and it's tougher for these smaller bars now because you said like five years ago when we started getting small bars 
every time a new bar opened, everybody knew about it. There's yeah. a huge thing. Yeah. Now I walk down the streets and I find bars have oh, opened. There's a bar. Yeah. There's a yeah. bar, and I didn't know it was there. And you go and say, "How long have you been here? When did you open?" And they're like, "18 months ago." Yeah. You know? <laughs> so there is, I think it's harder for those sort of venues to get attention, yes. you know, mm. than it was a few years ago and there's all this extra competition when Fringe is on yeah and I mean you know the the pop-up thing is something that Perth really loves and, oh yeah and like and I t- and I love it too it's something different and you know and then you miss it um when it's gone mm. which is one of the reasons why I think Fringe is so popular and these hubs are so popular because it's like oh, Noodle Palace is back or oh the Pleasure Gardens is back but um you know I just think the the competition that that puts on the rest of the hospitality mm. industry it's hard and then you see you know some business owners are you know really moving towards that food truck kind of thing but mm. that's a f- massive financial liability you know some small bars they just don't have the capacity you know rent is very high in Perth um, and you know if you're unless you're doing astronomically well or you have backing kind of taking your venue to another step might be would be really hard and that's even if you want to you kind of hit the nail on the head with the finance side of it because everything is more expensive in western australia yeah <laughs> um like you know there was a article written here um a few years ago where someone said you know like a coffee in perth costs like four dollars fifty mm. and everyone on the east coast went four dollars fifty that's outrageous and everyone in Perth said, where is this place? Yeah, <laughs> it's only $4.50. Surely that's not true. Um, but you look at other cities, like you look at Adelaide. Adelaide, you know, has a series of festivals that go on throughout the year. That idea of that sort of, you know, something's here. And as soon as one finishes, another one begins, you know, from the Feast Festival to the Adelaide Film Festival to the um, Australian International Documentary Conference to the big chill-out weekend there's just one after the other but and they seem to find a way to coexist better. yeah and that's another issue here is the fact that fringe and the perth international arts festival actually overlap yes so it, there is 10 days where you cannot see so many things because they're on at the same time mm-hmm. and you know i was asked to give some feedback on fringe just because I, I live in the neighborhood and that was one of my biggest things if i could change one thing what would it be make sure they do not overlap yeah and i know that fringe is on a circuit and i know that the P- pf is also to is also but you know like it's it's it would be five days either way mm. and it would just be really nice if you know if they thought about that in their planning and i'm sure it's been brought up but if they thought about the impact that would have on their successes but also the successes of the businesses around them because for that that, that 10 days nobody goes anywhere but to those two events mm. yeah which you know really really has an issue on the hospitality industry over here the other area which has said that fringe has been challenging is the actual shows themselves you know trying to get an audience to show when there's 700 shows on but i've got to ask the question like is the reason that some shows don't get an audience simply because they just don't promote themselves or maybe harsh reality your show's just not very good i think it's a little bit of column a and a little bit of column b mm. so you know you've got shows like la soiree which is you know world renowned and killed it here last year and now is in perth for an extra three or four weeks mm. because it was so successful mm. and i know that to have that success you do have to be giving a really good show but also because they've been going for a certain period of time and they do have that success and they have backers to be able to big show big money big exactly yeah whereas a small show could be the best thing anyone will ever see except nobody will ever see it because it's a tiny show Mm. and there's also the 
um, the other issue is a venue. So I went to see this hilarious comedy show, Two Brits and a Bloke, which is two um, British comedians and an Australian guy, Chris something, who released a parody song, Bloke. Yes. Which, um, oh, yeah. Yes. I remember that. And it was really funny. It was it was actually one of the funniest shows I've seen all season. But there was 15 people there because it wasn't at a fringe venue. It was at a pub that was doing fringe shows. So, you know, that's also a massive issue because if, you know, people want to go to the big top, they want to be in one of the Spiegel yeah. tents. They want to be in that hub and in that space. So I think that also has, an, it has a massive impact. But saying that, some shows just aren't very good. And there was some backlash about fringe artists not making enough money and it being so expensive to be part of it and fringe world came back and said you know actually the amount it costs to enter is one of the lowest in the world yeah for to be part it's of it's three hundred dollars to register to be a show at fringe and you get the percentage of your box office yes um and you know they said you know it, this is one of the lowest entrance fees in the world but also we trust that you guys have made the calculated decision that it will be worth your time and your money. Yeah, I think but anyone. I've, I've been a producer in theatre before, and you you have to do those sums. You have to say, I'm going to be on for four, seven nights, fourteen nights, three nights, whatever it is. There's so many seats in the house. Yeah, these are my costs. This is my potential income, and you know, as a producer, I have to get X number of people sitting on seats tonight to break even or to make a profit. Yes, and what surprised me. I guess from our point of view, as you know, as a publisher of a magazine that's and a website trying to promote shows, is that so many shows would call us up and say, "Hey, I've got a Fringe World show opening tonight. Could you do a feature story on it? I've just looked at the box office numbers. Nobody's coming." You know, and to me, well, that's just a little bit of disorganisation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like you can't call up magazines on the, and newspapers on the day your show opens no. and hope that that's going to make some amazing miracle happen. No. no. And I think there's a lot of that. Yes, yeah. because they are such grassroots performers. I don't think mm. they understand the industry and the people that they're working with. And, you know, there's always something new to learn in the media and the theatre and the mm. arts industry. But I think people just need that basic concept. I don't know, maybe Fringe World could be running classes and workshops on that, which would be absolutely fantastic. I think that would make it a massive difference. Because one thing, you know, you sit down and you look at that Fringe Guide when it comes out in December. And it's... Oh, it's... it's like reading the phone book, yeah, you know? it is. And there are so many shows which are very similar in description, mm. you know, very similar in title, very similar in imagery and photography they use, and you can just... It's really easy to get lost. I think there's a real trick in how you name your show, how you describe your show, how you... And to be audience-focused on when you do that. Yes. Because you know? um, good names good names stick out. Yeah, you know? completely. And this goes back to what I was saying about... There being so, there can be so much confusion with shows, like you know, and then you can end up at a show that is men in their underwear. And you thought you were going to be at a show that was women in their underwear. The change in, I guess, the change in pitch to the audience is really important. You know, I only saw one show this year that I wasn't impressed with, um, and even there were parts of his show where I was like, actually, I like how real he's being, or I like his comment on this. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't see a show where I went. I've just lost an hour of my life that I'm never going to get back. <laughs> Which I think seeing it when you're dealing with theatre is brilliant in any case because theatre is such a personal thing. Yeah. Um, but it would be really great to see some kind of development of artists either post or pre-fringe um, which again I think would continue to add to this vibrancy of Perth. You know, If then you had you know, the fringe workshops six months in 
Mm. Um, you know, it would be it would be fantastic, and then I think it would just really cement this cycle of arts and the development, and people would be engaged, and then you know you'd get fringe previews three months out, and you know it could really create something really exciting over yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, even some of the basics, like you know, if you've got a show on, have a promotional photo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I I did notice that when I was trying to find photos for to accompany reviews that I was writing for you and for for other publications as well, yeah. and I would just sit there and go. All I've got is your Facebook header. Yeah. And that's yeah. not even good. Um, and it's a shame that people just don't have... Yeah, I guess they're so focused on trying to get the show right that they don't have that kind of knowledge or that experience. And alas, not everyone can afford um, a PR team to work for them. I think it's a great saying uh, that you can judge a book by its... You can't judge a book by its cover, but, you know, CDs, musical output, theatre shows. Yes. Um, <laughs> you actually can because... Yeah. Um, you know, it. If you really do care about your work, the thing you're doing, then you should equally care about the things that go alongside it Most to promote definitely. it. Um, and I think if you look at very, very successful shows, mm. I don't think you'd find a very successful show that had terrible photos or terrible press releases yes. or terrible. Definitely. There's a no. strong connection between some, those things. Some of the best promotion I saw this festival would be self-promoters who were in their own shows who would just had given their lives to what they were doing. Yeah. Local drag performers who were putting on their own shows really knew how to sell themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and to tap into an audience. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think people underestimate how much impact walking around with a fly with your face on it and giving it to people can be. Mm. Um, totally. You know, and it's just about having that conversation, you know. Hey, I'm doing this. It's about this. Take one of these, please. And, you know, then you find it in your handbag three days later. Yeah. And yeah. you go, ah, oh, maybe I should. Do or, you have one yeah. performer who did that really well, I thought, was Cougar Morrison. That's uh, what I was talking about. Cougar, Cougar <laughs> Morrison at the launch of Fringe, yes, at the opening night, was there in full regalia um, <laughs> with, with two backing people yep. um, who just follow him around looking mm -hmm. fabulous and people were stopping the other people and saying who is that guy over there yeah we go that's cougar morrison and, be, and the name would be there and you go oh yeah. i'll find out more about that well you he know? got on he got on to uh national news doing that absolutely and he was on the radio oh, and his yeah. photo was everywhere you know he could have just turned up wearing like a shirt and jeans yeah, yeah. you know but he didn't he was promoting yeah. from the, the, the get-go actually yeah. every single time i've seen cougar morrison over the last couple months he's been corseted to the gods topless he's been promoting that pants. show for a while yeah. yeah the rain is coming and that's going to affect the well, recording the rains are here. well let's talk about what makes a great bar really <laughs> quickly <laughs> <laughs> alice it's fair to say it's not you know uh, an insult anyway you spend some time in bars i do i'm quite comfy there what makes a good bar oh that's a hard question um, Do you go to different bars depending on your mood? Yes. Yeah? I also am a... Um, I'm not allowed to swear, damn it. <laughs> um, I, I also um, go to different bars depending on where bartenders are because I think that's a big, big part of yeah. how um, well your bar runs and the quality of your drinks. And also I'm really annoying and I make friends with lots of bartenders so then they're my <laughs> friends and it's the only time I get to see them because they work in hospitality. Um, <laughs> but no, I think a... Um, you know, if you like how someone makes you a Manhattan, you're going to follow that Manhattan around, yeah, you know. Yeah, and um, so for me, what makes a good bar, it's about um, feeling welcomed. Mm. That's a big, big yeah. thing. Um, the hospitality scene um, within cocktail bars can be quite intimidating, um, you know, especially because in Perth we have so many kind of 
clique areas. So, you know, you've got your, your Hipster, Mount Lolly, Highgate, Northbridge, and then you've got your Subiaco. And, you know, it's the same everywhere. You know, you go to London and everywhere, it's just all these little cookie yeah, yeah, bits. Yeah. Um, so I do find that that can be quite intimidating. Um, when I first moved to Perth, I was I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going, and I would just walk into a bar, and if I if I didn't feel welcome, I would just walk back out again. Yeah. Mm. Um, to me, it's really the staff make the the yes. biggest difference. Yeah. Completely. And just in being able to just have a little bit of banter, being able to you know maybe suggest a drink. Yeah. Rather than that, just very sort of clinical, like you know what Here's you your want. Menu. Yeah. And you know we've got a really good bar here called Choo Choo's, um, which is right in the CBD, and they don't have a menu. So you walk in and they say somebody says where's your cocktail list, and they say oh we don't have one, but what do you feel like? And it's a conversation about the flavors you like, the flavors you don't like, whether you like sweet or sour or tart or woody or you know whether you want you know, and it's just a really positive conversation that yeah. also it makes people learn about what they're drinking, so they're not just sitting there smashing bourbon and cokes, going oh this is great, mm, going. Yeah getting home and going I don't even like bourbon <laughs> I find that is my challenge I, I would not say that I am a sophisticated drinker no me neither um, I've seen you drink champagne I think it's very sophisticated <laughs> but I, I do get stuck in a rut obviously here in Perth Connections Nightclub is a yep. place I've spent a fair amount of time it's the oldest gay and lesbian bar venue in the southern hemisphere yep so 40 years old older I was going to say older than me but that's not true no idea damn it <laughs> But I, you know, I started. I thought I'd go in there each week. I would try a different cocktail, and I'd work my way through the menu until I'd had them all. But I got stuck on like the second one because I really liked it, and I just drank it over and over and oh, over again. <laughs> again. Okay, well, well, week in, week out. Okay, well, we'll go to a bar. You know, it doesn't have to be Choo Choo's. I mean, like I go to Clarence's. Clarence's is one of my favourite bars in the world. And you walk in and you walk through a restaurant bit and it's quite dark, and then you're met with this bar, and there is always somebody at the top of the stairs or at the bottom of the stairs who will greet you and the staff know exactly what they're talking about the food is amazing you can walk up to the bar and go oh i usually drink this but this isn't what i want and assuming the bar is not six people deep and if it is six people deep order what you always order mm. nobody has time for that at that point <laughs> and they will always want to have that conversation mm. and you know i think so you've got your staff and then you've got i think quality booze is a real real um point on you know how to make a good bar you know know about you know Perth and Australia is very much about uh, like you know let's have a gin bar and let's have a bourbon bar and let's have a whiskey bar and let's not have a vodka bar and let's you know let's do all of these different things um but what all of those bars that are focused on a certain type of booze is is that they they kind of solidify their place in the scene by mm. doing other things as well. So, you know, you can walk into... The good thing about a bar which is focused on one particular yes. drink is they do say don't mix your drinks. If you're in a vodka bar, you're just getting vodka all night. Hey, Alice, thanks for coming and hanging out with thanks us. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love it if you gave us a review on iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join in the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag soloquacious or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash outinperth. You can join in the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag soloquacious, or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash outinperth, where you can add your comments on the timeline. If you'd like to connect with the team from Out in Perth, you'll find us at outinperth.com. Until next time, remember, be vocal, be loud, be fabulous, and be soloquacious. See you later. Bye. Bye.